Hello and welcome to the Keen on Things podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Keen. Episode 31's Guns, Germs, and Steel. That's what we're calling this one. At some point, <clears throat> we should probably stop titling these. Um, thanks for joining. Trying to get through this pandemic, although that's not what this podcast is completely about. The pandemic doesn't shape who we are. may shape what we do for a time, but doesn't shape who we are, even though it's uh, driving people insane, ending their employment, sometimes their lives, sometimes careers in specific endeavors, but not your career entirely. We all need to pivot, find those revenue streams, and find those lights of survival, inspiration, love. Those little lanes, those avenues of survival, inspiration, and love. Day to day, half day to half day, hour to hour, I find. Sometimes I'm like fine, you know, most of the day, and then an hour hits, and you just friggin' lose it. Okay, well, the World Series is set. I was hoping the Astros would re would uh, return, Houston Astros. I uh, I don't mind that. I don't care about whatever cheating they did. I just, I like the pageantry of matchups, and I wanted to see the Dodgers have another shot at them like they did three years ago. It wasn't to be. Uh, the Rays, Tampa Rays, Tampa Bay Rays look good. Devil Rays, they look good and uh, finally responded on their fourth chance at putting them away. They were up 3-0, and then the series went to 7, and they lost 4-2. But good for the Rays. Second World Series, uh, they lost to the Phillies of Philadelphia in 2009, and they're back after 11 seasons. Good for them. Tampa's a great baseball market. Florida's a huge baseball state, so it'll be fun for them. Maybe Tom Brady can play with them. My God, Tom Brady... Like, luck be a Brady tonight. You know what I'm saying? That guy is a good luck charm um, for other sports teams in the city that he plays in as much as the team that is his own. He's uh, he four World Series titles for the Red Sox while he was in Boston. A Stanley Cup title for the uh, Boston Bruins while he was there. And now he's in Tampa. He's been in Tampa a few months, and they've won a Stanley Cup. The Tampa Bay Lightning won a Stanley Cup, and the Devil Rays if that's what they're called still, are in the World Series. Plus, uh, the Rays knocked out the Yankees, which is always nice. I feel like any time a team knocks out the Yankees, that they're special. And even if they don't go all the way to the World Series, they should get some kind of um, recognition, you know. Because knocking out the Yankees makes it fun for the rest of us. And sometimes the Cardinals. I don't despise the Cardinals like I do the Yankees. There's been close times where... Uh, they almost went at it in the uh, in the World Series. Okay. Um, Tigers did it three times in the 2000-odd era. They knocked the Yankees out in the uh, playoffs, ALCS and such. I was so proud of that for sure. Dodgers, third time could be the charm. They lost uh, two years ago. They lost three years ago. Wait, was that two and three years ago? Yep. Two and three years ago. And uh, they're back in it now. Third time in four years. Look, they lost in 74, they lost in 77, they lost in 78, so I guess 81 was the fourth fourth time's a charm. Oh, damn it. They beat the Yankees. I guess third time against the Yankees, because in 74 they lost to the A's. Uh, what a run. Um, they, they knocked out the Braves, the Atlanta Braves. Um, God, the postseason is so different, you know, in sports. The postseason, it's almost like marriage as opposed to dating. The Braves pitching was amazing in the '90s. Five World Series, but the title takes extra, right? They won a, they won one of the five. They went to five World Series. They won one, and it, it takes a little something extra, man. You got to move that needle. You other people need to step up, right? The Dodgers have had 
postseason trouble with Kershaw and Jansen on the mound. Hopefully, they figured out how to respond to that. We'll see. Um, you know, it's only their two most important pitchers. We'll see. Should be fun. Uh, but you have to have other players step up. That's something in my high school football team when we lost in the playoffs my senior year. Um, all our like best players had kind of average games, and nobody stepped up, myself included. Um, and so we didn't take the cheese. We didn't take the title. But uh, I think baseball, man, they're just playing these games consecutive. Normally there's a day off, I think, somewhere in there. Well, there's no travel days. So maybe that's why. But uh, they want these series over. Um but I do appreciate them putting up games. I mean, last night, for Christ's sake, we had two Monday night footballs, football games. That was fantastic. Uh, okay. Had a good uh, had a good weekend and um, and all that. I did uh, a live show in Venice, which was great. It was like, I think it was the first kind of live show in L.A. that I've done. And it was like 25 socially distanced people out at uh, a property out in Venice and it was spaced out fine and it was by a pool and it was but they really made it feel theater like you know it's tough to capture outside and make it you know kind of theater roomy cuz that's what helps with acoustics when you're doing stand up and they were able to capture that um do this and film it and stream it to trillions of people throughout the solar system so i pro- this is probably my last week on the podcast because so many people saw it and now there's going to be um all kinds of appearances and photo ops and stuff like that and opportunities for enjoyment. Why do we love celebrities so much? Do they give us joy or do we just want to live like them? Anyway, so um, it was great. Ahmed put it on. Ahmed and, and Claude Shires put it on. It was a weird big house with a lot of rooms. And we did the show in front of a pool, kind of the first, you know, it was the first experience. I mean, I've done other weird shows, but this felt like a show. So it was great. Um. It was a trip and a rush. I had a Dr. Pepper earlier in the day, like two, like one of those big ones from the AMPM or something, a Seven Eleven, where it's you probably have two, maybe three Dr. Peppers in there. My heart was frigging racing, racing Saturday night. I'm done with soda. I thought I could do soda, even though I can't do coffee. I'm done with soda too. Um, I thought I could do it, man. I was dying Saturday night. I, I was like, am I having a frigging heart attack? But the show went well. Very fun, smart crowd. The house was formerly the home of Harrison Ford's son, which everybody kept saying, who cares? Like, Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford's son don't care. What, like, I don't know if that's supposed to give the house some context, like a Seinfeld episode. Ooh, Harrison Ford's son used to live here, not Harrison Ford. His son doesn't live here now. His son used to. That's way too many degrees removed. Are we supposed to be blown away? Like, he's going to make an appearance, and then we can all stare, trying to pick up on the similarity. Ooh, that does look like him. Ooh. He was born in the right situation. He's going to show up and change all our lives. Talk about being the son of Han Solo and Indiana Jones. Decker. I wrote a sketch when I was in classes at UCB in Hollywood called Keeping Up with the Indiana Joneses. And let me tell you something. The premise is much funnier than the sketch was. It was a family that tried to keep up with a family of archaeologists. Might have been too many moving parts for that to work. But put it in my stack of written stuff that's just going to sit here on my computer. All right. Harrison Ford's son is probably like, yeah, I got lucky. Big deal. Okay. Enjoy the house. Enjoy the night. It is a big deal. He survived the one-armed man. He survived Rutger Hauer. He was accused of murdering his wife and the fugitive. And in presumed innocent, he was accused of murdering his lover. But he was innocent in both. Thank God. 
I would not have been a Harrison Ford fan after that. What's it going to take for this guy to murder a wife, you know, or a lady that he loves? Don't do it. People like Allie McBeal, you know, leave her alone. My sister and Uncle Jim used to watch that show together when she was in college and he was uh, not in college. He was in, in the workforce. Harrison Ford's uh, wife in Presumed Innocent was the wife from Die Hard. She murdered his girlfriend in Presumed Innocent. Bonnie Bedelia. Bedelia? She's great. She's the aunt of Macaulay Culkin. Anyway, show went well in Venice. Off the rails. One of my Venice jokes, which I loved, was, uh, hey, I'm 48, and I'm thinking about riding a skateboard, starting to ride skateboard again. So I love coming to Venice, because that's the place where you do it. And then the joke is, um, when... What was it? I didn't have a lot of friends who were skateboarders when I was a kid because my parents used to say, hey, don't ever play with strangers in vans. And I thought they were talking about the shoe. I thought they were talking about the shoe. Um, that's cute. That's funny. The Whaler is a, is a restaurant in Venice, restaurant bar, rooftop situation right at the end there, Washington, on the water. They don't have nachos. Them and the Des Moines Funny Bone. I don't know what your problem is. Like These are the exact places that should have nachos. Have them. Okay, here we go. Um, so it was Columbus week this past week. As far back as I can remember, I've always felt sad for Native American culture. Um, here in America, it seems like it was so long ago, but the older we get, the closer that is. I don't know if you get that with age where you're like, Ooh, that wasn't that long. Like as a kid, you think that was hundreds of years ago. And then you're like, Oh no, my grandma was born in 1910. And, uh, so yeah, she experienced all that. And then she grew up with all these stories from the past that were probably just out of reach civil war stuff. Uh, and, um, all kinds of things. You get perspective on time as you get older. And now, now as I get older, you can see that a few hundred years ago was really nothing. 1492, right? Columbus hits Hispaniola, which is now Dominican Republic and Haiti. And the Spanish are in the Western Hemisphere. Boom, like that. 1492, he can't get it. He's Italian from Genoa. He can't get financing from Italy. He goes to Spain. They finance him. He takes his three ships over. Okay. Uh, that's 1492. Eventually, they would discover Mid-Atlantic, Upper Atlantic, and what would eventually be Canada, except that in 1588, the Spanish Armada, the most powerful sea force ever at the time, is upset by the English in the high seas. They have a war at sea, and the English win. And this changes everything, 1588, which matches perfectly these years, because 1492, they kind of sweep through the Caribbean and into Mexico and stuff. And that's why kind of Texas and Mexico have a little more history in a lot of areas than uh, Jamestown. Because they were already, things were already happening there in the 1500s. And Jamestown wouldn't get hit until 1610. Control of the seas goes to the English. 16, okay, in 1588, 22 years later, they hit uh, Plymouth and all that. English settlers, Dutch settlers. New York was native, and then it was Dutch, and then it was English, and then it was American. Um, but further down, it was English, right? So England, English becomes the language of North America. It's crazy, that shift. That 1588 battle at the sea has changed everything, right? Spanish becomes the language of South and Central America. England, English becomes the language of North America. Uh, the first real battles, um, I wrote this down. This is all stuff that's in my brain over the years, but I wrote it down. Um, for some reason. And, uh, you know, it helps give me some structure. But um, 
the first real battles between whites and natives takes place in like later 1600s. So 1610, they're feeling each other out, natives and whiteies. And at first, the indigenous people don't have a big problem with the newcomers. But eventually, it's like, wait, they can't keep taking all this land and resources and pushing us off. Like, no way. Uh, and keep kind of weirdly passively and aggressively uh, taking us, killing us, doing stuff. We actually have to fight these guys. So Metacom, who was known as King Philip, was a leader of the Wampanoag tribe, Native American, Eastern Rhode Island, Cape Cod area, Wampanoag. And his name's King, they call him King Philip. Metacom is also what they called him. Neither of these words are Native American. Metacom doesn't sound Native um, the Christian missionaries were just pushing too much, and Medicom and company fought back and were killed for it. Uh, it was the beginning of the end, and it would be called King Philip's War. Okay, so that's about 1675. About 75 years later, French Indian War, where it's whites fighting whites on different parts of the planet. White people fought wars in their own countries and liked it so much, we took the fight overseas that's incredible that's a new level of hating like what other races like are the chinese and the japanese fighting each other you know in the netherlands or in australia this is ridiculous okay so and that's that's the french indian war that's some last of the mohican stuff right around then okay 20 years after french indian war revolutionary war okay nine years after that civil war now once civil war is over 1865 u.s government just makes the full mission to conquer ocean to ocean and remove all natives. They're like, yeah, no more battles. We're wiping them out. Custer's last stand happens early 1970s. Uh, Crazy Horse eventually surrenders and is murdered. Wounded knee slaughter happens shortly after. Frontier closed. Okay, that's some Dance with Wolves stuff. Lonesome Dove takes place a little after that into the 1870s. Okay, then 30 years later, my grandparents are born. Maybe your grandparents are born. Just 30 years after this kind of Custer's last stand. I come onto the scene, 1972, just 100 years after Crazy Horse and Custer go at it. That's not a ton of time, okay? We're still connected to all that. Um, so I don't know what my point is on any of that, except it gives you some kind of time frame, because as Americans, especially white Americans, we don't really see, we don't look back and see, we don't have this connection to the land that other races around the world have <clears throat> and other cultures and countries have with their land and nature. Um, Columbus was lost, but he did arrive at a perfect time of year. I got to hand it to him. It was a lot cooler. You know, he lands in the Bahamas there in July or August, eh. but October. Yeah. Don't know if you saw any foliage in the Bahamas, pretty consistent weather. Um, but whatever. So yeah, I don't know if it was white guilt or whatever, but I just always had a problem with it. People saying native Americans were weak or not smart when actually they were amazing warriors uh, they just ran into money, technology, numbers, disease, imperialism at a later date than the rest of humanity. It wasn't anything on them, right? They just they they made it to 1492 before they had to experience the technology slaughter that other European cultures had been doing to each other for centuries. So that's a pretty good run to make it all the way to 1492 and 1610 before ever having to experience that. Think of how, you know, think of how beautiful that is one day and then the next, it's just gone. I don't know if you've seen Apocalypto. Uh, any Native American who died just before the European settlers came was probably like, damn, this is a good life. Like, look at this. 
he dies next day europeans show up um so i was never really at peace with this stuff we're more than halfway through here so this is almost over um guns germs and steel is a fantastic book by jared diamond and that helped me kind of process all this and get through it over the years and uh give me context get bring shape to where my sympathy was and stuff like that and it's all about development in europe and the mediterranean region as opposed to development in the western world and the winters you couldn't explore as much like you could here in the states the winters in asia in uh, europe colder uh and whatnot but you had parts of what is it, the fertile crescent stuff like that where you could become farmers and the land kept living. You didn't have to, you didn't have to um, be a nomad wandering, wander gather that the native American cultures did. You could grow farms, you could set up shop, you could take away from the hunter gatherer mentality and stay home. And so society was able to develop faster and whatnot and all the different cultures giving each other different diseases, immune systems uh, uh, are born out of that immune systems that native cultures didn't have. So, uh, germs being just as much a killer when the white man comes to north america central and south america as well um but just a fascinating book hell or high water was a movie with jeffrey um with lebowski i don't know why i'm blanking jeff bridges hell or high water and the native american texas ranger tells jeff bridges you know like the same son of a bitch's that broke us down broke your culture down years ago in europe right they just moved tribe to tribe it was white versus white white versus white white versus white white versus white uh technology boats uh running out of space let's look for some more space hop on the water go and find another culture that doesn't have the technology they've definitely got the toughness right um definitely better skin but uh you know we've got uh i don't know that guns came right at 1492 or if guns came right in 1610 i feel like guns were 1700 but you did have different other forms of weaponry that was probably better than the bow and arrow and you had swords right you you didn't have the bow and arrow you had swords you had uh i don't know who had axes and stuff like that anyway the world was up for grabs back then it was wild everywhere that's how i try to justify it in my head there's still a lot of Native Americans on the planet, both full-blooded and mixed race, especially in Oklahoma. Every white person you meet from Oklahoma has their Native card. They're like 1-8th or 1-16th. Um, pretty cool stuff. They're either directly related or distant relatives to the five civilized tribes and the whole um, the march they had to do, Trail of Tears, was crazy. Uh, so yeah, call it Indigenous People's Day, whatever. I don't mind. I remember downtown San Francisco... Before you got on the 80 East, there was some graffiti near a statue that read Columbus equals genocide. And that always stuck with me. Very profound. Or maybe it's just that I, it stuck with me because I saw it every day for a year and a half. But uh, anyway, so Guns, Germs, and Steel, great book. Another great book is uh, Crazy Horse and Custer, which is by Stephen Ambrose, who was supposed to speak at Carroll College graduation in 1997, but pulled out. Um, Crazy Horse and Custer is a phenomenal book, and it just brings me a little peace of mind, both these books, right? There's nothing I can do about the past and such, but you at least know what happened, why it happened, hope, and work for it not to happen again, right? Dave Matthews talked about it when his song Don't Drink the Water came out 23 years ago, 24 years ago. 
Just admit that it was uh, terrible how it all went down. Just admit that as white descendants, we've benefited from that early imperialism. And uh, be a little more sensitive, right? It's another reason it's so annoying when people say all lives matter. Of course they do. But all lives aren't in danger at the level that black lives are or other indigenous lives are or discriminated against. Um, but that's a phenomenal book. The Crazy Horse uh, Custer book parallels both their lives until they meet in battle, you know, as older men in their 30s or 40s. Um, Custer is kind of from uh, the Ohio, southern Michigan area, Monroe, Michigan, which I'm familiar with. And he went to West Point. He was the worst student in his class, but he was still a student at West Point. To get in there, it takes you have to be pretty smart. So even the worst student at West Point is still uh, very bright. So I know they make fun of him for being the worst student there, but still pretty bright and pretty reckless as a warrior. But he had the good looks and he had the uh, kind of charm that Washington, the Republican Party, possibly wanted to push him through as a president at some point. And they wanted to steamroll through native culture. So they would send him into these regions and he was reckless, but they'd send him into battles that he possibly wasn't going to win, which was part of the reason the Custer thing happened. It was part him, part them. And uh, I'm sorry the last stand thing and then uh, crazy horse was born on the plains the high plains i think it was western nebraska or like south dakota but it's so fascinating this book to see these two different people from these two different cultures be raised so differently yet in such close proximity right before right before that uh indigenous culture gets broken down you know, there's, you know, there's that wall coming in. There's those beautiful moments where you're just like, I've got nothing and I'm taking on the whole world here. I'm taking on all this technology, all the numbers, the European numbers. It's like in Dance with Wolves when the guy says, uh, Graham Greene, how many white people are coming? And Costner just shakes his head and he's like, like the stars, man. Like that many people are coming. Um, so uh, just phenomenal, right? Just phenomenal. Where are we? We're at 22. Okay. Uh, and then I'm going to, that's going to lead me into the homeless situation in LA. You know, um, this is all over the place, but, uh, it's been a long weekend. You know, people think their taxes are going to white hippies who are homeless by choice or black and Latino homeless, regardless of how they're homeless or nerdy bookworm communist college students. We need taxes, right? We need people buying in. You can't have the old West. Of course, the rich and people with property and guard gates are going to say, we can do the Old West. I'm, I'm up for it. They can do that because they're living in a safe haven. All right, have hearts, okay? I know a Latino dude who doesn't give money to white homeless males. He feels that there's that much privilege that you should be able to get on your feet. It's his call, right? He's a Latino dude. Um, I don't know how he feels about mental illness among the homeless, but whatever. Uh, my two cents on the homeless in L.A. Not that I know a damn thing. But uh, whatever. Um, my buddy has a bar downtown. He embraces the homeless that, that just circled his place. It's called the Escondite, the hideout. He sees them as human beings more than anyone I know, right? He's had several businesses down there. Brian Trainum. He knows how to handle various situations down there with the drunks, with the fights, with the arguments, with despair. He knows how to de-escalate a situation. Um, we've had many shows down there over the years. Uh, so my thought is we can divide Skid Row and the homeless into three groups. Those with mental illness, all right, then get them help and treated and into facilities. Um, and then those that are employable and want to be part of the social contract of society, right? Get them trained, get them uh, possible 
jobs at co-ops or wherever, but at least get them working towards something and showing the rest of society who's paying into those taxes that, look, improvements are being made, we can be human beings, and we do get rewarded for being human beings. And thirdly, there are those who just don't want to play ball, who just live off the land. And by live off the land, I mean live off modern society. Because if you want to live off the land, go into the desert or the forest or whatever. Don't live off people's jobs and stuff and not contribute. Um, And that's where I think a lot of people just put homeless in their mind. Oh, these are just people that are living off. They're making this kind of money because there's one homeless guy that actually has a car or a cell phone. They're the exception, though. But the rich or, or Republican or white upper class feel, or rather how they justify this, is they make that third category the icon for all homeless in their mind. And I don't care if that last third is able to skate a bit if it means we're helping the other two-thirds of the homeless. I don't mind, right? I'm a white male heterosexual born in the U.S. I can find work easier and make more money easier, even with diversity hiring. I can. I don't mind working a little more so that those who can't work get a little more. While my body and mind can make revenue, I don't mind if some of that goes to people who can't. I doubt once I'm capable of it, others will feel that way about me, and I'll be screwed. But for me, I, I don't I don't mind some of my earnings, even a larger amount, helping others. As a kid, I remember my first job and seeing what taxes took out. And my dad would say, yep, they get a lot. He broke it down for me. He, what goes into Social Security, what goes to whatever. I didn't mind. I was like, good, good. Old people get some. You know, The government gets some. The community gets some. Whatever keeps people off the streets being taken care of. No litter. I fucking hate litter, man. No, no matter where I am on earth. Okay, then I don't mind. Um, I've never made that much money. I made uh, my, my best money was um, a year ago when I was making three thousand a week. Um, but I was still into the Bernie Sanders thing. I was still behind it. But I've never made that much money. Um, oh, I guess I work in shipping. I made I made a nice chunk of change back in the late nineties. But I don't need a second Mercedes if some single woman is raising two kids because her husband's dead or in jail. If that money can go to them, I'll buy in. Make sure it gets to them, though, right? Make sure it gets to them having a home with utilities, with food on the table, and they're getting an education. If it's getting lost along the way in the process in the form of drug or alcohol enabling or something other than those things, then for those reasons, a lot of Americans are out. For those reasons, I'm out. I'd hang on a little longer, but that's where we, we that's where we lose a lot of Americans, a lot of Republicans. Democrats seem a little more uh, feeling their taxes are going places. And maybe it's this mentality that's keeping me from the big time financially. Hope not. I'm a dreamer. I'm idealistic, but I'm trying to make sense of it for the non-dreaming, non-idealistic people who can be just as much a waste of space as they criticize the homeless for being you know, the people in church and prayer every day, every weekend, but who would never go near a homeless shelter, right? Homeless person, a veteran. I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. We almost have to trick Americans into voting what's best for them. Bernie Sanders tried to be honest with his fellow citizens. Hmm. Got screwed by his own party twice. If the homeless and ghetto and hood situation is better, every American wins. I don't know why we don't see that. I realize that at a young age. We allow the situation to permeate, and eventually it'll reach our little guard gate community and have a bigger problem. And I can't believe Eddie Van Halen's dead. I know it's already been a week here. Rolling Stone put him up on those lists, man. I'm still upset about that a little bit. 
but it's been fixed. Okay. Um, it's just so funny. People who watch the debate say, yeah, what a mess. But that's denial that most of it is Agent Orange, right? Don't paint it with this easy brush of, oh, it's a mess. Anybody saying that is pulling for Trump. Okay, politics was a joke before Agent Orange came along. But these debates are an embarrassment, man. What a mess is just kind of a write-off. Okay. Uh, Bernie has to defend Biden, even though Biden doesn't defend him. That's so sweet. Bernie has to go against some of his own beliefs to get Agent Orange out of there. That's his concern. He's still more concerned and caring about this country than either of those two guys. I think he's just trying to deal with the situation, like Mr. Pink and Reservoir Dogs. He's like, let's just get him out. I don't even care anymore. Let's get this guy out, and then we'll work on improvements from there. But there's a whole other layer of lie that we need to get rid of. Okay. Um, I'm done on that front. I'm done on that front. Okay, we lost uh, Joe Morgan last week, the great uh, Reds player. And uh, he was part of the Big Red Machine, which in my opinion is the greatest baseball team uh, ever outside of those Yankees with Babe Ruth um, back in the 20s. Because those 90s Yankees teams, those were a few different teams that won those five World Series. So, um, But those Reds... Johnny Morgan, Joe Morgan was the best hitting second baseman of all time. I think Johnny Bench was probably the best hitting catcher and Pete Rose was the best hitting first baseman. And they were all on the same team. Those Reds and Dodger teams of the 70s, man. They dominated the National League. Um, okay, what do I have here? We're going to get to uh, Patrick Keene's Tweets of the Weeks now. And, and it's going to be beautiful. Okay. Um, on Monday, I tweeted, I miss not getting booked. Get it? I miss not getting booked. Like, I miss not... Okay. On Tuesday, I tweeted, I like chicks, but Dan Levy's hair is amazing. Wonder what shit he puts in it. Shit, S-C-H-I-T-T. From Schitt's Creek, his hair is great. On Wednesday, I tweeted, I really hope the Electoral College doesn't have a season this year. Get it? An Electoral College. That's how Orange and Orange beat Hillary in 2016. Electoral and colleges, some of them aren't having football seasons, even though it looks like it's coming around. Okay, on Thursday, I tweeted... Trump's so out of it, he sounds like Biden. Because <laughs> he was on meds for, because uh, he had COVID. And now it's just mysteriously gone. I guess people can get over it. God forbid we tell Americans that you can get over this and just have them all living in fear. Okay. On Friday, I tweeted, I seem to be under the illusion that there's a colony of normal people somewhere and someday I'll get to meet them. Do you ever have that? Where you're like, God, someday I'll be in higher society and I'll meet a higher group of people. You know, maybe you're already doing it. Okay, that's it. All over the place today. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening to Patrick Keen, Patrick Keen's Tweets of the Week, and the Keen on Things podcast. I'm um, I'm on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, TikTok. Check it out, Keen on Things. Thanks for joining, and uh, we'll see you next week.